Welcome back to the exit ramp. And thanks for connecting with us again on Podwheels, powered by Radio Nemo. Hello again, everybody. I'm Greg Thompson, and you've joined us for a Destinations episode of The Exit Ramp. We'll be taking you to Chattanooga, Tennessee during this podcast, and we'll take you on a walking tour of the Chattanooga Whiskey Company, a craft bourbon distillery that has been in operation for the past decade. In fact, our walking tour took place shortly before the company's 10th anniversary celebration. And Tim Pearsant, the founder and president of Chattanooga Whiskey, was at the center of that celebration. And we're lucky enough that Tim will be our guest and our tour guide for this podcast. During our time with Tim, he'll share with us how the company got its start, which at one point in establishing a distillery in Chattanooga included lobbying the Tennessee State Legislature. Now, as you'll hear, Tim also shares how Chattanooga Whiskey has developed its brand over the years and expanded its operations to include tours of the company's facilities. These days, Chattanooga Whiskey stands as one of the top tourist attractions in the Chattanooga area. Now folks, this is no small accomplishment, especially considering that the Chattanooga region is filled with a number of popular stops for tourists. Now that you have the roadmap on where we're going to go and who we're going to meet, let's take you to Chattanooga and our exit ramp destinations tour of the Chattanooga Whiskey Company. So take me on a tour. All right, let's do it. We're going to walk through the facility. What a great space. It was like it was built for this operation, but it's got quite a history. Yeah, it was originally a car dealership. Chattery Whiskey took it over in 2017, so we've been operating here. This March will be five years. It was the Newton Chevy dealership at the corner of MLK and Riverfront Parkway. It's about 50,000 square feet, and it does feel like it was customized for our operation. When you and I talked before the interview, you told me an interesting story about one of the family members that came back to the facility. Yeah, Grant Law and his father were the owners of Newton Chevrolet and brought Grant through the facility after we built it. It was a very proud moment for me. It seemed like a very proud moment for him as well. I wasn't quite sure how he would feel about his beloved car dealership turning into a whiskey distillery. But it turns out that his father's nickname was Hobby, and it was because his hobby was drinking bourbon. So we nicknamed our still hobby. How about that? Yeah, it was pretty cool. You know, we drive by here and I'm like going, well, I wonder what they could put in here. Never thought it could be this. Yeah, it's really cool that we were able to repurpose this facility in such a cool, unique part of downtown. One of the things, folks, is that I wish you could take in the smell of this right now. We're in the barrel room or... Correct, yes. And we get about 5% evaporation a year in here. So that's what we call the smell of money evaporated into the air. And the thing about it is it's got to be fun to come to work when you've got this aroma around. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, we definitely love what we make. So we enjoy the smells. You just can't love it too much. (laughs) Depends on what your definition of moderation is. (laughs) Very good. So we're now transitioning into another part of the operation. We've got wrapped boxes here, Chattanooga whiskey. This is the only Tennessee high malt whiskey, and it's underlined by saying only. That's correct. Tell us a little bit about this part of the operation. Yeah, so that is our differentiator. We coined and trademarked the only Tennessee high malt out of the experimental distillery. When we began producing our own liquid in 2015, 
we began producing bourbon that was high in specialty malted grains. That has always been our differentiator since we started producing in 2015. And because of that, because every recipe we created is a minimum of 25% in specialty malts, we coined and trademarked Tennessee High Malt. So we're not Tennessee whiskey. That means that we don't do the Lincoln County process, which means that we don't filter the distillate off the still through a sugar maple charcoal vat. But we are a bourbon, so we are greater than 51% corn. We do age in new American white oak barrels for greater than two years. We do all the other requirements in order to produce bourbon. But we do go beyond that within the American whiskey sphere. For example, we have American malts, American single malts, American rye malts. But again, all in American whiskey, primarily bourbon, and all under our own unique high specialty malt style that we call Tennessee High Malt. How did you figure all of this out? I'm a parrot, so I just listen to the experts around me and they make really great product. We have a production team of 10, some outstanding, talented individuals that learned the distilling process from the ground up through the experimental distillery and then transitioned over to the riverfront distillery. We still have a couple of distillers that actually specialize in the experimental distilling process, so they run that operation over there. But Grant McCracken is our head distiller and our chief product officer, and he has a brewing background his specialty has been brewing with specialty malts so he brought that concept to chattanooga whiskey when we established the experimental distillery in 2015. so we're in the distribution area how much product do you move say a month six months a year Yes, yeah, so Chattanooga Whiskey's had significant growth since we were founded in 2011. In 2019, when we officially transitioned over from what was our sourced bourbon in distribution over to 100% Chattanooga Whiskey made that was produced here at Riverfront, which again was inspired by all the recipes we have been creating over Experimental. It's worth noting that Experimental, we produce about 50 barrels a year over there. But that's not a lot compared to what we distribute. So we really keep that product exclusively at Experimental and then it informs what we're doing over at Riverfront. So it's just an R&D lab and a tourist attraction. But over at Riverfront, we are able to produce upwards of 3,000 plus barrels a year, which is the equivalent of about 120 to 140,000 six pack cases a year. It's a lot of whiskey. It is. For, for a craft bourbon, that is. I think it's worth mentioning. I would say that we're on the larger side of the small craft guys, but we're nowhere near as big as the big guys. And I was going to say, you're not trying to be Jim Beam or Jack Daniels. No. or No, we're not. We are always going to be a small batch, small craft distillery. Although, it's been pretty fun to be able to expand our growth and distribution into 14 states and carry the Chattanooga name in a really unique fashion, what I would say is a very high quality fashion. Revive the history of what was once popular in Chattanooga pre-prohibition and then do it our own way. So kind of that combination of progression and tradition. But Chattanooga Whiskey has grown into a sizable craft brand, and it's been awesome to watch it happen. Now, give us a little bit of a history. When you talked about bringing manufacturing on site, give us a little bit of history on your manufacturing, because if I'm recalling correctly, 
you started by manufacturing out of state, correct? That's correct, yeah. So all of our bourbon came from Lawrenceburg, Indiana, which was called Lawrenceburg Distillers of Indiana and then became MGP. The reason I say that is because in the bourbon hunting world or the bourbon society world, there is a lot of MGP product out there. And so bourbon consumers know it as MGP bourbon. That was what Chattanooga Whiskey started on. Again, founded in 2011. My co-founder and I were packaging the product together and we discovered the MGP bourbon up there that we could source from. We launched the product in 2012 locally and then expanded into Tennessee, expanded into Georgia and South Carolina. So we operated distribution in those three states with the MGP bourbon called Chattanooga Whiskey 1816 Reserve and Chattanooga Whiskey 1816 Cask all the way through the establishment of the experimental distillery in 2015 and then even into the establishment of the riverfront distillery in 2017 and it wasn't until of course the bourbon that we were producing was mature enough to replace it in 2019 so that's when we did the official kind of rip the band-aid off of the sourced and then started selling chattanooga whiskey as we know it today chattanooga whiskey 91 and chattanooga whiskey 111 are our flagships but we also have chattanooga whiskey 99 rye bottled and bond single barrels and several other iterations but it was illegal to distill so we had to source our own product we didn't have a choice so let's dive down into the barrel just a little bit. You brought up the fact that it takes years to make this happen. So we're here in the barrel area. Take us through the process, if you would, getting the product in the barrels. Again, folks, it smell very, very good. How long do those barrels have to sit there? I would think that these barrels that are here are the ones that are ready to be used. But tell us a little bit about that process, because I find that interesting. Yeah, so everything that we do at Riverfront, everything that you see on the shelves throughout our 14-state distribution does come from the Riverfront Distillery. And that's grain to glass. So literally, we've got our grain suppliers. All of our corn is locally grown at Katisa Farms up in Railton, Tennessee. It's all non-GMO yellow corn. We work with lots of different specialty malt suppliers across the country and the world because of the variety of grains that there are. So we get all of those grain supplies here to Riverfront. Then we will mill those grains into a flour and then we will cook and then we will ferment. We will distill, we will barrel, we will age, and we will potentially finish. Like for example, Chattery Whiskey 91 is finished in a 4,000 gallon White Oak Solaire barrel, and we have that here on site as well. And then we bottle and we ship. So we do really everything from grain to glass, and the glass goes out the door here. And just for my curiosity, the barrels that are sitting there, how long have they been aging? So Chattanooga Whiskey has several product lines, several labels, like I just mentioned, and those labels actually carry different ages. It just depends stylistically what we're going after. So if it's Chattanooga Whiskey 91 and 111, they're between two and three years old. If it's Chattanooga Whiskey 99 Rye, it's between three and four years old. If it's Chattanooga Whiskey Bottled and Bond, it's between four and five years old, and so on and so forth. Single barrels are greater than four years old. So it just depends on what the product is, but I would say the range in that facility is between between two years and five years. When you got started on this thing, did you ever think it would grow into this? It's funny you asked that. Someone asked that yesterday, and I feel like I'm getting asked it a lot more frequently because people, friends, consumers are starting to realize the growth that Chattanooga Whiskey has had over the last few years. Obviously, we've been hard at work over a decade, and really the growth has become a lot more significant recently 
And the answer to that question is no, but then again, I've always had the mentality of just trying to put one foot in front of the other. I still have that mentality, meaning I don't know what Chattanooga whiskey is going to look like in the next five to 10 years. The most important thing for me is that we're honoring our craft and we're honoring our culture and our people. And I think as long as we continue to do that, we'll be able to grow this company, but we're not after a number. For us, we're after being the best at our craft. Because of that, I've tried to have a really good time doing what I'm doing with the people that I'm doing it with. And there's a lot of creative freedom at Chattanooga Whiskey, and that's something that I'm very proud of and I want to continue. I think that's what has made us so great is that we've got a lot of unique brains that come together and have created a really amazing product. Now we're celebrating the growth of that collective thought process and we'll see where it goes from here, but we're all really passionate about this product that we've created together. As we walk through here, are these vats? Yes, so we have five fermenters. We have one 3,600 gallon beer well, so five 3,000 gallon fermenters. We have one 3,000 gallon cooker. The room we're standing in is where we do the milling of grain, cooking of grain, fermentation of grain, and then once it's fermented, it goes into a beer well which feeds our stills, and we have two types of stills in our still room. Now this is where audio doesn't do justice because we're actually looking inside one of the vats, so describe this for us. Yeah, so what you're seeing is fermentation happening right now, which after you create your mash from cooking up the grains, then you load it into a fermenter, you pitch in your yeast, and your yeast is consuming the sugars that are in the grain and converting that to alcohol, CO2, and flavor. Again, how many gallons are we talking about here? About 3,000 gallons. When it runs through the vat, it's going to produce the whiskey, right? This size of vat, it's not one for one, right? How much does this produce then? Correct, yeah. So this is going to yield between 8 to 10 barrels. So 3,000 gallons will yield about 8 to 10, 53-gallon barrels of bourbon. I don't want you to give away your recipe, but take us through the process of how the contents go in and how long it stays until it goes downstairs. Sure, yeah, so the majority of what we produce is bourbon, but Tennessee high malt is basically a recipe that is greater than 25% in specialty malts, which is very high compared to any other bourbon or most American whiskeys out there. But we do have other recipes that are not bourbons that again are under that American whiskey phrase. We can produce American malt, American single malt, American rye malt. So we do have those as well. So we utilize a variety of different specialty malts and we produce a variety of different recipes, actually dozens of different recipes at Riverfront. And we've produced hundreds of different recipes at Experimental, which again was the place that inspired all of this and continues to inspire all of this. Do you have a favorite? Well, I mean, I got to say 91 is my favorite. 91 and 111 are both made from the 91 recipe, which is made up of yellow corn, malted rye, caramel malted barley, and honey malted barley. Tim, this is a massive operation because I think when you started out, right, you were just looking at, hey, we want to create a craft whiskey. We want to have a business here in Chattanooga. Could you imagine that this thing has grown to this size? I mean, when we first started, it felt massive to me. Felt like, oh no, what did we do? We built something that's too big for Chattanooga whiskey. And now that we've grown into it, we're kind of busting at the seams and it doesn't feel so massive anymore. I guess it's just based on your perspective, but I am very proud of how this operation came together. 
particularly in this facility because this was an existing facility and we turned it into a distillery and it has worked out really well. It feels like everything was meant to be where it is. And people come in here and they think that we built this facility specifically to be a distillery. You can't tell that it used to be a car dealership. Exactly, and that's what I was thinking. When you said it was an existing facility, it was a relic. It was sitting here literally collecting mothballs, people looking and saying, what are they gonna do with that place? What did you think when you first saw it? Did you see the potential? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, an all brick facility, the corner of MLK and Riverfront. I mean, what an amazing opportunity. I love the fact that it was one story because we were looking at multi-story buildings before that, which just seemed like a huge logistical headache. We've got a nice parking lot for trucks to come through. I mean, for being what I would call an urban distillery, I don't think that we could have located a better facility. And then when you look at what you did to the showroom, right? And you've got your event hall and all of that. It was a place that already had a lot of glass. So, yep. Yep. The event hall has been a nice little side business for us. But obviously, making sure that we're making great product and getting it distributed into our 14 state distribution area is our number one priority here. I'm noticing that you've got a pretty big staff. You've got a lot of employees. How many employees do you have these days? Chattanooga Whiskey has just under 40 employees. And that's split up between riverfront production, experimental production, experimental tourism, and of course the admin side. We do all of our own marketing. We have our own creative team, our in-house HR and accounting. We're really a turnkey shop. It is, it's an amazing store. Thank you. That kind of sounds like you're sort of rolling with the growth, rolling with opportunity. You got a vision for that. It sounds like you know what you want to be and you know what you don't want to be. Well, I definitely know that I love our team and I love our creative freedom. And I love being focused on a product that is both uniquely ours and good. As long as we stay committed to that, I think we'll continue having fun and I think good things will come. We're looking at this large barrel and it's got 91 on it. You've mentioned 91 earlier. So it's my guess that this is where the 91 resides and it goes into the barrel. So it actually comes from the barrel and goes into this larger barrel. Okay. So when we come off of the still, we go into 53 gallon new American white oak barrels, a variety of toasts and chars, which is another signature aspect of Chattanooga whiskey that we're not just using one type finish within a barrel. We use multiple finishes, but it will reside in a 53 gallon barrel for greater than two years because that's what is required to graduate to a bourbon, to a straight bourbon whiskey. After that, we do take our 91 recipe and we finish it in a 4,000 gallon white oak Solera barrel that also has a char. And it goes from there to bottling line. So we're looking at this too. This is interesting because there's some sort of a meter or... Yep, that's a sight glass just to show you that the product is in there. And it holds approximately 100 barrels of the 91 recipe bourbon at barrel strength, which it goes into the barrel about 115 proof comes out of the barrel ranging in proof depending on evaporation so it could be as low as call it you know 116 117 and as high as 122 123 just depends on again where the season seasonality and the environment so this is barrel strength 91 bourbon in this solera barrel so in the solera barrel you have basically essentially the marrying of barrels because as barrels age 
they age a little bit differently. There's little nuances and flavors. What the Slayer Barrel does is it provides an opportunity for those barrels to co-mingle and pick up complexities from one another prior to bottling. You must have done a lot of study, brought the right people in, just concept this whole operation and to get to this point. That's very much a feel thing. I mean, yes, we have what I would say are experts that work for us, but these experts that work for us, we've all very much grown together in this process. And again, we started at the experimental distillery. We started from, not to say that where we are right now isn't humble beginnings, but we started from humbler beginnings. <laughs> and the experimental distillery is only a few thousand square feet. It's a hundred gallon pot still. You can only produce 50 barrels a year off of it. That's only about 2,500 cases. It's just not very much. It's a very small operation. So when you go from that to this, it's very scary. But we worked with a talented architect and our talented distilling team worked together to create an amazing operation. I love your approach because one of the things is that it sounds like no matter the success, what you guys have seen and done, you stay humble through the process. Well, we stay focused on what only we can control. And I think, again, celebrate each of our individual ideas and uniqueness. And everybody feels like they have a voice here. I think we're facilitating a culture that wants to work together and truly believes in the product. And as long as we're focused on that, we're not looking at the big guys and saying the grass is greener. We wish we had that. You know who you are. You know who you want to be. I mean, I, sometimes I feel like I can't go that far because sometimes I just don't know what I'm doing. But I do like who we are. I would debate that with you because I think that you do know what you're doing. To be able to come in here and take over this space, grow it, and do what you're doing, I'd say you're on the right track. I appreciate that. You're listening to The Exit Ramp from Podwheels, powered by Radio Nemo. I'm Greg Thompson, and thanks for spending part of your day with us as we take you on a Destinations episode of The Exit Ramp. Before we travel back to Chattanooga to complete our walking tour of the main distillery operation at the Chattanooga Whiskey Company, we would like to invite you to check out our full catalog of podcasts featured across podwheels.com. And we'd also like to invite you to bookmark our website and come back and check out our latest podcast offerings. Now let's get you back on the exit ramp in Chattanooga and return to our conversation with Tim Pearsont, the founder and president of the Chattanooga Whiskey Company. Tell us a little bit about this room right here. So we are in the still room, which has two different types of stills in it. We have a column still, which is 30 feet tall and has 16 distillation plates. It's known as a continuous method of distillation. And then we have a pot still, which is known as our doubler, because the distillate, once it runs through the column, will then run through the doubler. So off the column, we're going into the column with our distiller's beer at approximately 10% ABV. And then we're coming off of our column with our distillate, which is considered a low wine. And our low wine is approximately 60% ABV. And then we will send that low wine into our pot still and redistill it north of 130 proof, which is our final distillate coming off of the still before we proof it down to 115 for it to be transferred into a new American white oak barrel. You were talking before 115 to 123 that's a proof that catches your attention. 
Yeah, sure. So it really, the proof based on evaporation just depends on the environment that the barrels are aging in. Of course, we get the benefit of being in Southeast Tennessee and being in a black building here in the Valley where we get some really good evaporation, which means the product is aging really, really well. And of course, based on humidity, et cetera, more water or more alcohol will evaporate. And for us, our proofs are all going up. So they'll go into the barrel at about 115 and then they come out usually as high as 123 plus, just depends on how long they've been aging for. So tell us a little bit about the distillers right here. We've got two of them. We already know what the name is, right? Yeah, Hobby, because of Grant Law's father. So the column still, again, has 16 distillation plates, which means that they're perforated plates that allow the mash or the wash, that was the beer, at 10% ABV to fall through from the top. So it gets pumped to the top of the still, falls through the distillation plates. Simultaneously, we're pumping boiling steam into the bottom of the still, which is rising. So when that steam rises through those distillation plates and meets that beer, the beer turns into vapor, which is a higher concentration of alcohol because alcohol has a lower boiling point than water. And it essentially repeats that process across those 16 distillation plates. That's how you go from a 10% ABV product to a 60% ABV product. You were talking about the low wines coming in and then the taller, what's it, 30 feet here is coming down from the vats? Yeah, so our column still is 30 feet tall, which is creating the low wine, which is 120 plus proof. And the low wine is transferred to our pot still, which is bumping it to 130 plus proof. And that's our high wine. Basically, that's the nerve center of the operation right there. I really look at every aspect of this operation equally in terms of opportunities to impact flavor. And that's really what we're doing here. But yes, the still is the workhorse in the sense that it's running all day. And the thing that I'm thinking about is, and you've mentioned it a number of times, it's the details. It's thousands and thousands and thousands of details to get you to the point where you are distilling and every detail matters. I think that's what makes Chattanooga Whiskey different from a lot of other distilleries out there is that we are looking at each one of those details as an opportunity to produce more richness and complexity and a unique flavor profile, whereas a lot of distilleries are just focused on the recipe in the barrel. Let's walk further through the operation. So we're in, I guess, the bottling room, right? Correct. This is where we do 100% of our bottling for all product that goes into distribution. And we do have a bottler over at Experimental as well, where we handle those small batches. This is an automated six-head bottling station. We normally have three to four bottlers, employees on it at once. We produce a number of different labels out of the Riverfront Distillery, namely the Chattanooga Whiskey 91 and Chattanooga Whiskey 111. And then we also have 99 Rye, our bottled and bond, our barrel finishing series, and our single barrels. The bottles, are they coming out of the barrel then into the bottle? They do. They come from the barrel into the bottler. There's actually what's called a proofing tank where we will proof it down to the proof that it needs to be to go into the bottle. For example, 91 is 91 proof, 111 is 111 proof. In the case of 91, it goes through that Solera barrel that we were talking about earlier. But otherwise, yes, it goes straight from the barrel into the proofing tank, which feeds the bottler. Part of the focus of moving business forward is how businesses have moved forward over the last couple of years. And when I think about the pandemic, I think about, there were obviously a lot of horrible things that happened. 
how did you guys deal with the pandemic and did you see a rise in sales because i would think that drinking was one of the things that happened during the pandemic yeah, yeah. So we saw a lot of growth through 2020 and 2021 i can't tell you how much of that was because people were drinking more i think it had to do with really the effort that we've put in to build this brand and we had the right relationships we were in the right stores in the right place on the shelf we got a lot of great press during that time as well. We had a lot of writers and influencers that were sampling our products and really enjoying what they were getting out of it. I think that press and that acknowledgement of what we were doing was a big driver of our success throughout 2020 and 2021. Well, let's talk a little bit about how you guys made it through the pandemic because you've obviously got people that need to be here every day to do certain functions, including the bottling that we're seeing right now. And you've got your experimental facility, which is also a tourism spot. So talk to us about that. Yeah, so we were fortunate in that we retained all of our employees throughout the pandemic. We did follow CDC guidelines, and during the shutdown, we really were in tune with what other tourist attractions and experience and restaurants were doing around us. We made lots of modifications to that operation for safety and efficiency. Coming from a tourism perspective, yes, we took a hit for a couple of months, but coming out of that, the support both locally and outside of Tennessee, tourists coming in, has just been phenomenal and that growth just hasn't stopped. We were just fortunate in how we were able to navigate that based on having great employees, having a strong brand, and of course not everybody's operation is exactly the same and our operation was able to weather that storm a little bit better. You said that you got over here what in 2017? So you had about two years to get everything the way you wanted. I imagine that made it probably easier to adapt. When we built Riverfront, that gave us the ability to produce basically what we were projecting, our growth that we were projecting into markets beyond Tennessee. And that has become the largest part of our business, the largest growth in our business. So having different operations during a pandemic, when you've got one operation that's consumer facing and it's a tourism element, that's an amazing marketing tool and a great revenue generator as well. When it went down for a couple of weeks during the shutdown, yes, distribution was nice to have. So this is the event hall, which was the former showroom of Newton Chevrolet. Tell us a little bit about the event hall. Yeah, so we weren't quite sure what to do with this room. Obviously, it's like we're in a glass fish tank in here used to have a drop ceiling and used to have a tile floor and so what we did was strip a lot of that out but kept some of the original elements. We kind of warmed the room up by bringing in these wood stave elements, wrapping our columns in wood staves from our barrels, having a barrel ring chandelier and it's become a really popular event hall. We've hosted a lot of fundraisers in here and wedding receptions and of course we have parking in downtown Chattanooga so that helps as well. Of course, this is not our core business, but it is a nice to have, and considering our location, it's worked out pretty well. Typically, how many events do you have a year? I mean, obviously, COVID put a big hit on our event business, but I would say probably approximately 100 mm-hmm. events a year. Wow. Talking about one-third of the year, so that's pretty good. Yeah, every week we have an event here, at least. Tell us a little bit about the operation you have at Experimental. Yeah, it is open seven days a week. It is the number one tourist attraction on TripAdvisor as far as things to do in Chattanooga, Tennessee. 
since 2015. We've put a lot of hard work into making that operation warm and inviting and authentic. And authenticity is a big part of Chattanooga Whiskey. It has grown tremendously. Of course, part of that is the brand growing and part of that is Chattanooga growing and people coming to wanting to tour in Chattanooga. That is where we celebrate our history. So each tour is an hour. During that hour, there's about 30 minutes or so of education and there's 30 minutes of tasting. We'll run each guest through our history, some of the history of whiskey and Chattanooga pre-prohibition, and then we run them through the distilling operation there, which is a micro version of Riverfront, but it still showcases how to distill and what it is that we make. Of course, we celebrate our own style of whiskey and that we trademarked it and that it came from over there, Tennessee High Malt. And then there's a tasting of flight of six different samples for $14.5 for a tour and a flight. I think it's the best deal in town. Chattanooga has been a tourism destination for decades, most of its history, actually, mm-hmm. through the downtown revitalization and everything that happened in the late 80s and 90s and all of the attractions that are here. That's got to feel pretty good, be number one on TripAdvisor. Yeah, we're five-star rating there. And our employees are very passionate about the product. And again, they're just great representatives of the company and the city. They really enjoy taking care of people and telling the story and talking about the product. And that just comes through when you take a tour. Do you have to pinch yourself sometimes when you look at all that you guys have done over the last decade? No, not really, because it's still a lot of hard work. No matter what, we are focused on how we continue to put one foot in front of the other and grow and run a respectable business. There's definitely no pinching. Take us back to the very beginning. Give us a little bit of your history and how you're tied to Chattanooga and why you wanted to do Chattanooga Whiskey. So I was born and raised in Chattanooga. Very proud of that, especially when you consider the majority of our 40 employees are not from Chattanooga. And that's really cool, too, to see the amount of people that are moving here and how much great talent is coming to this city. I went to Auburn University. I met my wife there. We were both in art school there. When we married in 2005, we moved back to Chattanooga. We started our life in downtown Chattanooga. In fact, we moved into a Chattanooga Neighborhood Enterprise house that had been built in Jefferson Heights. And it was really kind of the beginning, the very beginning of the Jefferson Heights revitalization. So to be a part of downtown, be in the south side, be a part of the revitalization. My wife and I felt like we were a unique part of the community, but I was commuting down to Dalton, Georgia. And I was working for my dad's company about seven years. And that was good. And it was great to work with my dad. But career-wise, it wasn't going to be my future. And so to be able to create an idea with my co-founder and start and bring a piece of Chattanooga's history back to downtown. That was the inspiration is to revive that history and create a package. And I mean, the whole creative aspect of that was what I really enjoyed. And the relational aspect of that was what I enjoyed. And really it motivated me to just keep on taking it further. Again, not knowing exactly where it would go, but the idea was to build a distillery in downtown Chattanooga. The idea was to make our own product eventually. Again, I didn't know that we would be here 10 years later, but the law change from 2011 to 2013 was really exciting. It's a cool part of our history. And the Vote Whiskey campaign, we talk about it on our tours. We talk about it in interviews like this. It's a really cool part of the history, but my favorite part of the history is when we established the Experimental Distillery and we created our own product called Tennessee High Malt. 
When you think back to that, you're a true entrepreneur, you got an idea, but you grew up here. You know that this is part of the buckle of the Bible Belt. You know what the laws were. So talk to us about that process because that seems almost as daunting as running an operation like this. Yeah, I mean, the conversation and any potential pushback that we received, that's part of what drove us. That made it exciting. I think that made the local news want to cover this process because it was controversial. We went about it in a respectful manner, but a lot of our local lawmakers, they didn't want to really have anything to do with it because it was a couple of 30-year-olds wanting to make whiskey in Chattanooga for the first time in 100 years, and that's a scary idea to put your name on if you're a local lawmaker. It's not one of those safe things. It's out there, but you and I talked about this offline. You guys came up with this concept and pitched it to the right people at the right time because at the time that you guys pitched it, we were coming out of the recession. Can you talk about that and the process, some of the people involved? Yeah, sure. I would say the timing was very good because we were coming out of the recession and jobs were really important, more important arguably at the time, just getting that back, getting the economy back on its feet. We pitched it as a jobs bill and that we were going to build a distillery downtown. We were going to employ a couple of dozen people at least. By the way, it's nice that that was actually lived up to. But there were a handful of helpful individuals throughout the process that walked us into talking to the right people. The real pivotal moment was We thought it was going to be able to be solved at the county level, but it had to be solved at the state level. And representative at the time, Representative Joe Carr, who had written a distilling bill in 2009, was extremely helpful, basically coming back to us and saying, look, I think we can rewrite this and do it better if you guys are wanting to take that on. And of course we did, and I'm glad we did because it opened distilling to the majority of the 95 counties in Tennessee. And now there's a Tennessee Distillers Guild. Now there's a Tennessee Whiskey Trail. And there's more than 30 distilleries with great tourism boost and agricultural boost to Tennessee. I know from talking to you prior to the interview, there was a point in this process where you guys made a hard push to get the law happening. There was still the business plan over here. And at one point, you were a bit concerned that, hey, maybe we did all this work and we may not benefit from it in terms of establishing your business. Can you talk about that moment, that struggle, and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, I mean, there were a couple of times trying to get the law passed that we needed a supermajority, by the way. Going into the county commission, we only counted four that were definite yeses. So to come out of it with seven and two not voting out of the nine commissioners was a real surprise. And I do believe it was the community showing up in support of us that passed that law, or at least moved that to the state level. So that's why we say whiskey to the people, to honor the community. That's another big reason as to why we sell our whiskey at an affordable price point to give back to the community. And during that time, we were trying to raise money. And if the laws didn't pass, we probably wouldn't raise money. But then the laws passed, we were able to raise money. And then my co-founder and I split. And then there was a whole year worth of wondering how we're going to build something and what the team's going to look like. We were trying to do something Originally, we were trying to do something a lot larger, and then we scaled that down to something a lot smaller, which became the Experimental Distillery. And I would say that it was a pivotal moment for us because while sometimes doing something a lot smaller doesn't sound like the funnest thing to do, sometimes it can lead 
to uh, great success. And I believe that if we had tried to do the larger thing, we might not be here as a brand today. Figuring out who we were and who we wanted to be when we grew up, so to speak, was the best thing that ever happened to us. We've walked through here and you've shown us different parts of this operation. We've talked about it. It's clear to me that you're somebody who looks at opportunity and basically rolls with it. You don't try to do too much, but you try to do as much as you can. I love that. That feels like my personality because I do feel like if there's a group in a room, I really enjoy identifying our skill sets, creating something together, and rolling with it. That's exactly what's happening. Walking away from working with your dad, but I'm sure he understood. What is he saying today? Oh, man, he's very proud of Chattanooga Whiskey, and I think he wears a Chattanooga Whiskey shirt every day of the week, so it's a lot of fun and really enjoys the product. My dad's an artist as well. He does enjoy the art, and he's also a very authentic person, and he enjoys the authenticity of what we do, and I think he's very proud that we are committed to making a great product and committed to our people. He was a great leader in his organization, and he's recently retired. I'm sure that when I first started it, there's a lot of fear of failure. And of course, I would feel the same way with my children starting their own business. But it's pretty fun to be able to have a drink of Chattery Whiskey together 10 years later. Speaking of that, I'm sure as an entrepreneur, you're probably driven by A, a pursuit of excellence, a pursuit of what you want, and equally driven by a fear of failure, right? We got to keep pushing. Is that accurate? Oh, I would say I'm driven a lot more by a fear of failure than I am the pursuit of excellence. (laughs) I want to do right by my employees and my investors and the community. It's really important to me to do what you say you're going to do. I have a hard time calling myself an entrepreneur, honestly, because I don't feel like one. I don't feel like a serial entrepreneur. I don't have ambitions to go start five or ten other businesses along with this one. I just want to keep doing what we're doing and make it great. Where do you see this in, say, 10, 20 years? Because... You have built something right now that is pretty amazing, and there's a lot of things I could see for this in 20 years. What do you see for it? Well, considering what we've made of it over the last 10 years, if we can do anything close to that over the next 10 years, I'll be very happy. I'm very happy with what we have right now as it is. While we've grown significantly in terms of what we've wanted to do, there's not a number that I'm looking for I do want to continue to grow because the demand is there. For me right now, it's kind of let's get this fifth fermenter going and then let's get the sixth fermenter going and we'll take it one step at a time. And I'm just not looking past that. It's part of a grand adventure. (laughs) Yeah, it's been an adventure for sure. That's Tim Pearsant with his closing thoughts on this Destinations episode of The Exit Ramp from Podwheels powered by Radio Nemo. As we shared with you earlier in the podcast, Tim is the founder and president of the Chattanooga Whiskey Company, and we'd like to take this opportunity to once again thank Tim for sharing his time and perspective with us. If you'd like to learn more about Chattanooga Whiskey, including details on the company's distilleries and tours that are available to the public, we'd like to invite you to visit the company's website, ChattanoogaWhiskey.com. That web address is again, ChattanoogaWhiskey.com. Once again, folks, thanks for spending part of your day with us here on The Exit Ramp, an original production from Podwheels, powered by Radio Nemo. Be sure to check our website, Podwheels.com, for new episodes in this series and our other podcast offerings. And as always, folks, let's stay safe out there.